everyone, and welcome to the Friday, March 20th, 2020 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, as you could probably guess, it's all coronavirus all the time. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for Lee Enterprises. With me today are Brett Hayworth of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Aaron. And we also have Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, Aaron. As a reminder for everyone, you can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to the On Iowa Politics podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. So the coronavirus, it's uh, taken over everybody's uh, lives here across the country. And here in Iowa, it's been uh, quite a week or two. Uh, the legislature is shut down. The schools have shut down. Um, Iowans are being encouraged to uh, largely stay home, although we haven't been given the shelter in order, uh, shelter in place order um, yet, uh, but being encouraged to social distance. Uh, fortunately, here on the podcast, we always practice social distancing as we come to you from all corners of the state. Um, so it's it, it's been an interesting week for us as journalists too. Uh, uh, coronavirus very much dominating the stories we've been written. So so Brett, let's talk with uh, with you first about uh, uh, all the different um, angles you've been pursuing on this story this week. I know you just come to us fresh off an emergency school board meeting. Um, Steve King had some interesting things to talk about the coronavirus. Uh, tell us a little bit about the different stuff you've been working on this week. Right. So in addition to my governmental and politics reporting, I'm also the education reporter here at the Journal. And so it's been um, just a, such a busy week. I remember a week ago Friday in, in the afternoon, I think we, uh, Kim Reynolds was going to hold a press conference in the day um, on Friday afternoon. And I think it got moved back from like 1 to 4 or 4.30, a few hours. And there was a lot of speculation that um, the schools would be could be mandated to be called off. Um, she didn't take that step on on Friday, and so we wrote all kinds of other stories that were coronavirus relating related for all the various things that were shutting down. But um, the order to, to call off schools then didn't come until Sunday, um, um, which was again I think it was like 8 p.m. I believe um, it was you know well into the evening, and then all the school dis- and again it wasn't an order to, for everything for all the schools to close down for exactly four weeks, but up to four weeks was a recommendation. And then each individual school district um, uh, could decide on their own, but virtually everyone here in, in Siouxland went went full for the four weeks, um, and I, I think that's the case pretty much statewide. But and then since then, it's just been story after story um, on the education beat, on on the state house beat um, um, here in Sioux City, and in some of the school districts. I was writing stories about how. Schools then were um, wanting to, for, for kids who have food insecurity to make sure that they are still getting um, uh, school lunches. So a lot of school districts have have jumped really quickly to, to do that. So lots of good, you know, some good news in spite of, you know, some overwhelming bad news as a number of coronavirus um, cases has, has grown not only nationwide, but also here in Iowa. Um, this morning, what you just mentioned, um, this has been an issue that people have been wondering about. And the Sioux City School Board this morning just held a meeting I'm just getting out of, and I'm sorry for the lateness of the podcast for the rest of the people <laughs> who are recording, Amy and Aaron, Stephen, um, was uh, they had a special meeting. A big question people have been wondering is, um, including the teachers themselves and the instructors, will the hourly um, 
school employees be paid even during the time that they're not working. Um, a lot of school administrators and you know essential, more essential type people have been still working, but uh, the, um, the paid salary teachers will continue to get their salaries, obviously. But the question was the hourly workers, and in Sioux City, they d- decided to extend those that they will be paid even though they are not um, going to be in school. And again, as of now, there's just so much uncertainty. Uh, as of now, schools w- are supposed to be back um, in four weeks. During this meeting, the special meeting that I just got off with, uh, the superintendent here in the Sioux City School District said it's, it's, it is certainly obviously possible that, um, that school may not come back at all yet this year. Mm-hmm. Yep, I've heard the same thing, and 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 I know you got a. Uh, it's it's a busy week for all of us, and I know you got to hustle out of here, Brett. But real quick, uh, you talked to Steve King this week too, and he originally voted against um, the um, aid package, uh, the coronavirus aid package. Uh, give us a quick summary of your interview with him about all that. Right, and, and again, it wasn't an interview. However, Aaron, I, I, oh, I did sorry. publish a story. Yeah, but um, um. We did an update yesterday, uh, catching up to the story. There were so many coronavirus stories that we weren't able to report on this um, in the moment. But when the how, when the big um, funding package came out um, over the weekend, and then I think a few days ago in the Senate, I think it was Wednesday, um, the package that will unleash a whole bunch of federal and state money. Um, Steve King was one of, I think it was eight House members. It was overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly passed in the House. Steve King was one of the eight members who voted um, against it. He did not like the process by which it was set up, um, in which there was very limited amount to um, look at the bill. He didn't like the fact that it came out, um, you know, around midnight, and then there was it was you know, a quick debate and, and a quick passage. He thought he just thought it was too too um, much of a of a sped up process. And uh, that was one reason to vote against it. However, he he is saying that he certainly expects um, Americans to band together and 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 bounce back, and and that it will be a good outcome for the nation. Interesting, interesting. All right, thanks, Brett. Appreciate uh, um, all that, and uh, we'll let you go because I know you have other duties to tackle uh, today. A- Amy, Amy, let's t- turn to you now. You've been covering. Um, uh, all the I- impacts on this uh, in the Cedar Valley. Um, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, w- w- let's start with, you had a story earlier this week about Iowans um, that haven't been able to get tested, uh, even though they've wanted to. And, and that's that's a story that we're hearing um, all over the state as well. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So actually, this came about through our our Facebook comments. Um, We had been posting stories from, you know, Reynolds press briefings and then um, our county press briefings um, and just talking with health officials and things like that. And and then people would comment below. They're like, it's already here. It's already here. You know, I've got it or my cousin's got it. They won't test us. We've been negative for this and that. So I started reaching out to some of these people just to say, hey, tell me about your personal experience you know, with the the system. And they were like, I have a fever, I have a cough, I have shortness of breath, all of these things. And I went in, you know, as prescribed and they, they did all these other tests that were negative, you know, they either took a rapid flu test or, you know, some other sort of, of respiratory exams and things like that. And basically were testing negative for the flu. And then their doctor was sending them home because they hadn't been to a country um, that was on the CDC watch list, and they hadn't been in contact with a known positive case. And so 
these people are really frustrated by these rules because they're saying, what if it is already here? What if it is already spreading? And we just don't know because we haven't been able to test because the criteria has been so strict. And so when that story came out, I think people were finally like vindicated because we had heard so much from people that were like, we think it's here, we think it's here, and they just aren't testing us. And then to actually see that those people are, you know, out there and naming themselves and saying, I went through this too, I know what you're feeling. I think just to have sort of that solidarity, even if it's still an unknown, because we really don't know how many cases there are, there's still technically only one in Black Hawk County. But I think you really talk to anybody and they're like, there's more than one, I'm sure. You know, it's just the testing capabilities are a big frustrating point. And so I've really taken that to heart and and tried to, you know, push the officials when we can, you know, and say, why aren't we testing as many people? Do we have a shortage of testing equipment? Is it just that we're trying to abide by the guidelines or trying to stem the spread some other way? It's it's really been an interesting story that I've been trying to follow. Yeah. And and it it really illustrates if anybody who's listening to this and and wonders, boy, why do those reporters keep asking every day? Why do they keep asking about the testing capabilities and how many people we can test and how many tests and, you know, and are we working to get more? If you ever wonder why reporters seem hung up on, um, on that, that's, that's exactly why what, what Amy just described to you, because there's people out there um, um, who, who, feel like they um, uh, legitimately need to be and, and they're being told they can't uh, because they're essentially having to ration these things right now because of the- Yeah, and we're super sensitive to that. People come to us with their problems and they're usually because they have no other recourse. And so that's sort of been our job from the beginning. And I think it's even more important now in the wake of a crisis and a pandemic like this for us to just keep hammering our officials about why they're not releasing information that they probably should be releasing. Yeah. Uh, another one, Amy, you wrote uh, that I that jumped out to me was uh, about food banks and, and the need for volunteers. T- yeah. t- tell us a little bit more about that one. So the food bank started tweeting um, on Wednesday about this, and they had been coming out with sort of things like, hey, we really need volunteers, we really don't need donations, which they always say, you know. But you're sort of reading these in the context of obviously we've got this massive coronavirus. So so right now, the food bank is being hit like every other nonprofit organization where their volunteers are just dropping off simply because they're they're worried about spreading or they don't want to spread it. You know, these are legitimate fears. So they're missing volunteers. Um, they're also being hit because the retail organizations like the grocery stores aren't getting them as many donations of food. In fact, um, Barbara Prather told me yesterday they basically have dropped down to zero. They're not getting any donations. So they're having to go out and purchase all this food. Meanwhile, they don't have anybody to do the driving. They don't have anybody to do the packing. Um, Their small staff is trying to do it all and and really sort of clamoring for donations. And then in the midst of that, more and more people are going to need food assistance simply because they've been laid off or their income streams have dried up. Um, And they're sort of in desperate times. And they, they can't even go to the grocery store sometimes and get these staples. So we're really in unprecedented times here. And I think the food bank is really on the precipice of that. So that was definitely a story that was interesting to me as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought I'd share just a, a real quick here for folks. So um, being here in, in at the Capitol and, and covering the shutdown of the legislature on Monday was was a very interesting um, experience. It, 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 it felt a lot like um, the last days of session when you're waiting for those final budget agreements and those final bills to be figured out and um, leaders are kind of huddled in the back room and uh, reporters and even most of the lawmakers are just kind of sitting out in the chambers. It, it essentially, 
um, uh, for people who remember the changeovers in Pope's, it's like you're sitting around waiting for that white smoke to come out of the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> out of the um, uh, that's again. What the, <laughs> you're right. That's what the end of a session feels like. And, and, and this felt very much like that as they tried to hammer out the details of those, um, you know, the, the emergency authority that they gave to the governor and, and the extra funding for the for the testing uh, uh, kits wow. and for the state hygienic lab. Um, so it was and, and it was interesting to just hear people and, and the lawmakers and staff um, uh, kind of talk about all this and and um, and and, uh, and and the impact it's already having and. And um, the fact that they're going to walk away from the Capitol for at least a month and, and who knows when they'll be back. Um, um, so it was just really, obviously, uh, Amy used the word unprecedented and, and that applies in so many cases here. And, and that was, um, you know, uh, James Lynch, who couldn't be with us this morning, wrote a story this week about how um, man, even in World War II, they didn't uh, shut down um, the session. Yeah. Um in the middle of it um so but they did for this it's it's just remarkable um obviously the right thing to do I don't think does anybody argue with that when you're talking about not having uh crowds of uh you know whatever it was older people and down to 50 and yeah and the age of the lawmakers the, the average age um is uh somewhere in the in the um upper 50s and lower 60s if i remember right it, um obviously was one hundred. That that place is a petri dish in a good year. Um, much less than <laughs> like You're this. already used to hand sanitizer and washing yeah, hands. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was the benefit. I got to tell you, um, most people around the capital, you didn't have to buy hand sanitizer to bring to the capital because that's already a common thing up there uh, during session to have hand sanitizer sitting around with all the people packed in there and people are coming in coughing and hacking and all the hands that you shake in the in a day. Uh. And, yeah, so that so that's a common um, um, supply, anyways. Uh, so that was the only silver lining is we already had plenty of hand sanitizer, hand sanitizer around. I guess um, what's new then for for you? So so now you're at a time of year when maybe things were just going to be starting to to get wrapped up. But so now, where are you at in terms of of your reporting as far as the legislature goes? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, as far as the legislature itself goes, there really isn't anything thing to do. Um, uh, um, you know, and obviously, the coronavirus is such a huge story with so many um, tentacles that that's uh, still been keeping me busy. You know, the governor is giving uh, very regular um, updates with news conferences um, mm-hmm. multiple times a week. Um, so that keeps us uh, busy. And I assume that will for the for 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 the for the time being. Um, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, that one of the things that I had hoped to start to write more about was um, the Senate primary um, with the Democrats running to face Joni Ernst and, and, and now would seem a good time to do that. But I don't know how active that campaign will be with the coronavirus and, you know, holding campaign events is pretty difficult to do when you can't have crowds of, of any size at all. Um, yeah. I'm, and, and, and that's a story to itself that uh, um, uh, I, we in the Bureau um, How does that affect on. campaign season? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And especially for that primary. I mean, there's there, there's um, a couple other primaries in the congressional races, too. So, um, um, you know, especially for that. I mean, you talk about the general election, that can be another story for another day because that's still, you know, seven or eight months away. 
Um, but this primary is June 5th, you know, that's just a couple months away. Um, right. That's really compressing that schedule for these uh, candidates. And some of these primaries are competitive. That Senate Democratic race I, would have been interesting. Um, I mean, yes. it still will be, but but it may play out differently now because of this, all this. And, and the same up uh, in particular up in the fourth district uh, with uh, yes. speaking of Steve King with his primary. So um, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of impact that has and how that perhaps changes uh, those races. And, and uh, but to circle back to your question, you know, I would have I, you know, once the caucus, I had always been saying once the caucuses are done, we can finally pay some attention to that Senate primary. Well, then the legislative session started it's like, OK, we got to get through that and get our feet going with that. And then we can get to the <laughs> primary. And now this happens and we may never yeah. get. Well, and, and the other the other question I've got, are we going to even have a primary? I mean, you're talking yeah. about June. That's still, you know, three months away. But at the same yep. time, the timelines that you're seeing come down for something like this, we could easily blow through that. So, so it's really a question of do you even want to spend your resources right now, you know, trying to buy ads on Netflix and, you know, right. Facebook and things like that where you actually can reach people right now? Or are you sort of playing the waiting game where you're – Wondering if they're going to push back the primary, you know, it, it has started to happen already in the, the country. We've even seen the presidential, you know, primaries being, you know, postponed, pushback or, or whatever. And so that's just really a, a, yeah. a question that we don't have to answer right now. Yep. Yep. And it's and it's a question that we'll be continuing to ask uh, Secretary of State Paul Pate. I, I believe he has been asked and, and said at this point that, you know, there's we're planning to have elections, um, but it'll be interesting, you know, and 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 do they, um, you know, um, try to raise more attention to absentee voting to um, um, or do they, you know, some states are talking, do we need to go to only absentee voting, you know, only ballot by mail? Um, I mean, mm -hmm. there's just a lot of, of interesting questions uh, that will be asked and answered in the in the coming weeks and months. About it will be interesting. It's yep. a brave new world. It absolutely is. And I got a feeling we'll be talking about it again next week on I and Iowa Politics. I think we can wrap it up for this week's edition. It's interesting times. Amy, thanks for being around in the conversation. And, and uh, we'll absolutely. say thanks to Brent. I know he already had to jump off because the next duty called. It, it's just that, been that kind of a week. Um, yeah. Thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, we hope it was worth your time. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. And you can send fan mail to oniowapolitics at gmail.com. And as a reminder, uh, you can find our work each week on the pages of the and websites, the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, and Cedar Rapids Gazette. And I may add here to our normal sign-off, um, if you're able and if you're not already, please subscribe to your local paper. Um, as you can imagine, the um, the economic downturn is going to have an impact on everyone and, and the newspapers um, will certainly be included in that. So anything you can do to support us. And if the you want to tell health officials, subscribe <laughs> to your newspaper. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, we don't have a uh, band to play us out this week. Another coronavirus uh, uh, impact. Hopefully we can figure that out for future podcasts. But it seems like a good time to let you know. We always talk about the band playing us out, but I don't know if we ever tell you about the band who plays us in. Copperhead is the band who plays our opening theme each week. So there you go. You know that now. 
And if you know a talented band or I'm a musician who should be featured on our show, send us a sound file. For Brett, Amy, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks, everyone, for listening.